Welcome to another episode of Film Spill, a movie night podcast with your hosts, Chelsea and Jackie. Film Spill is a movie night podcast that is based on female filmmakers. And we want it to feel more like a movie night and not just us talking about film, but also us playing slumber party type games, spilling entertainment gossip, getting to know each other and our guests. And speaking of guests, this week we have a very special guest, Aspen Nelson, who is a producer and writer with Onyx. And fun fact, we actually recorded this episode a couple weeks ago, and we let you guys know that we had to delay it a bit. So this is Aspen's technical second time on the show. But if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself, Aspen, to our listeners... Yeah. Hi, my name is Aspen. And like Jackie said, I am producer and writer at Onyx. um, And I am just a huge horror film nerd. (laughs) So Aspen, what would you say is your dream job? My dream job would be to redirect all the Harry Potter movies, but make them super gay and bring out all like the queer subtext that's there because it's very heavily there. And just bring it out and make it just like this huge queer adventure, which is what it deserves. That is a great idea. I never even thought about that. (laughs) That would be such a great spin-off. Do it, Aspen. I'll help you. (laughs) Yes. Oh my God. We'll make it together. And why did you choose Jennifer's Body this week? I have a deep obsession with it. My, My entrance essay to NYU was about Jennifer's Body. I just have this deep love for the movie. It is just so fascinating to me, so unique, and just everything about it is perfect. I can't think of a single flaw. And today, we're going to be talking about Jennifer's Body, directed by Karin Kusama and written by Diablo Cody. But first, it's time for a game of M.A.S.H. For anyone listening who doesn't know, M.A.S.H. is this classic slumber party game at least for me. Um, It was huge in my elementary and middle schools. And basically, MASH stands for Mansion Apartment Shack House. And it's kind of a way of like predicting your future or seeing what a possible future could look like for you. Um, So yeah, I have six categories for like different things that could be part of your life, I guess. And then Aspen is going to give me three options for each category. So like if the category is career, um, they could say producer, writer, and cinematographer. Uh, And then one of those options will be what Aspen will get. Are you ready to play Aspen? Yes, I feel much more prepared this time. I feel like I have answers, like, ready. Ooh, so. okay, exciting. <laughs> so last time, since our listeners won't get to hear the audio, I have this written down. Aspen was a cinematographer in Toronto. Uh, they lived in a mansion with Zendaya. That was their life partner. They had wood whittling as a hobby and a pet alligator. All right, so career. Career, okay. 
So we're not doing cinematographer for sure since in my last life I did that. Um, <laughs> previous life. My previous life. Um, so let's start with production designer. Ooh, okay. And then hair and makeup artist, which I can't do in real life. So I'll pretend that I can. It's a fantasy. That's true. And then we'll do stunt double. Ooh, this is, I really like these ones. Thank you. Okay, and then celebrity spouse slash life partner. Okay, I've been watching a lot of The Nanny. Do you guys know who Fran Drescher is? Oh my god, I love her! I love that show. Are you watching it on HBO Max? Yes. Me too, me too. Oh my god. I started from season one, but I've seen every season. Oh my god. It's just amazing to watch it order. She's yeah. iconic. I love Fran. Such an icon. Do you have another spouse or life partner? Yeah, I'm going to go with Hunter Schaefer to keep with the Euphoria theme. Ooh, okay. I haven't seen Euphoria. I got to watch it. I just got HBO Max, so I will. Oh my God, please, Jackie, please. <laughs> and then for the other partner, I'll put Death Patel. Ooh, yes. Okay. Cool. So then city or place where you'd like to live. Oh, okay. Let's do Forks, Washington. <gasps> yes, Twilight. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I want to go there so bad. because It's so there, cool. Like a festival. You've been? Yeah, I just went. I just went in May. Stop. Was it yeah. incredible? Oh, yeah. Like, you really feel like you're in a Twilight movie when you go there. Like, the vibes in the movie are the vibes that you get when you're there. That's Oh my god. Okay, I need to go. Do you have um two other places, Aspen? Sure. I'm gonna put New Orleans because I really want to go there. Nice. Now I want to do an international place. Um, let's do Morocco. Ooh. So the next category is celebrity best friend slash work partner. So someone either you just want to hang out with or you want to like collaborate on stuff with. Ooh. I'm going to go with Jordan Peele to start. Yes. Yes. Are you guys going to watch Candyman? Yes. I'm excited. When does that come out? Is it in October? August 27th. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. Okay. I got to be there. Opening Soon. day. So another um, celebrity best friend or work partner. Okay. Um, let's do Karen. Karen Kusan. She's amazing. Nice. Um, and then a third one. So I'm going to use someone I used last time, who's um, Anna Biller, who directed The Love Witch. Very cool. All right, the next category I have is hobby. We're almost done. So this is trailing on. <laughs> no, you're totally good. Um, okay, hobby. Let's do scuba diving, gymnastics, or crocheting. Very interesting choices. I love it. Scuba diving is really interesting. Have you scuba dived before? My partner scuba, has scuba dived before. So like, I kind of know about it, but there's a picture of fish on our wall. And so um, that's what made me think about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And our last category is pet. Oh my God. Okay. Because my chihuahua is right next to me. I am going to say chihuahua. What other? Okay. I'm going to go crocodile. And... Capybara. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. They are so adorable. Great. 
So I have your future. Okay, hit me with it. Okay, so you are going to be a hair and makeup artist. Okay. Your celebrity spouse slash life partner is Hunter Schaefer. Oh my god. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you are going to be collaborating with slash hanging out with Karin Kusama. Very fitting for this episode. That's a good vibe. Your hobby is gymnastics. A little Simone Biles situation, if you will. Ooh, okay. And then you are living in a mansion in New Orleans with your pet crocodile. Okay. I don't even know how it got better. Well, I don't even know if it got better than the last one. It's still fantastic. And it's still euphoria themed, which is very interesting. Yeah, that's so true. Wait, oh my gosh. So anyway, that is another alternate timeline or a second life or something for you. I Okay, I'm so here for that timeline. That's both of them. I'll live in both of them simultaneously. Just be dating Hunter Shaver and Zendaya at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. So before we get into Jennifer's body, just to mention that there will be spoilers for the movie up top and that it is available to watch on Hulu. Content warning, because it's part of the movie, there will be some discussion of violence and gore in this episode. So feel free to stop here and come back next week if that isn't something you want to hear right now. So Aspen, what are your initial thoughts of the film? Yeah, I think, first off, um, it's like a perfect film to me. Um, I hold it very near and dear to my heart because I feel like it is such an authentic piece of film because of how it portrays like this kind of like revenge fantasy against men and men who objectify women. And, you know, Megan Fox being the starring role, it's the perfect casting choice. So it's just so symbolic it's, I think um, in a lot of ways in terms of like the casting, the design of the film, it was so right place, right time, all the great elements came together. So every time I watch the film, I laugh, I, I'm i torn between Needy and Jennifer. It just, it's just amazing. <laughs> yeah, I feel like this movie didn't get the credit that it deserved in the beginning. It definitely has gotten more recognition and more credit now because it's seen for what it is. And it is a really well done movie. The cinematography is great. The story is great, well written. Kudos mm -hmm. to Diablo Cody for it, having this vision and going and moving forward with it and standing by her movie, even though she got hate for it. Yeah, so ahead of its time. Definitely, yeah. And I, I love just like how campy it is. I love the jokes in it. It's just a really good time. And I think it's also such an, like, interesting commentary on sort of what it's like to be a teenager. Like, there's that, um, like, the first line of the movie is Needy saying, hell is a teenage girl. And um, it's just an interesting uh, portrayal of that, you know? Like, you're not just, like, a hormonal and, like, anxious mess. You're, like, literally a demon. Um, so... Okay, so to intro the film, um, in case you haven't seen it, which you should definitely see it, when a demon takes possession of her, high school hottie Jennifer, Megan Fox, turns a hungry eye on guys who never stood a chance with her before. 
While evil Jennifer satisfies her appetite for human flesh with the school's male population, her nerdy friend, Needy, Amanda Seyfried, learns what's happening and vows to put an end to the carnage. And that's from Rotten Tomatoes. Jennifer is used as a part of satanic ritual by an indie wannabe band who tries to exchange a virgin for fame and fortune. Unfortunately for them, Jennifer isn't a virgin, so she comes back from the dead and has an appetite for men that surround her. Needy puts an end to Jennifer by the end of the film, only to discover that she now contains some of Jennifer's power. Yeah. I have a question for all of you guys. Oh. What character did you resonate with the most? It's going to be the lame answer, but I'm going to say Jennifer, just because like objectification in film and media and just in general has always just annoyed me so much really like grinds my gears I didn't you know I didn't want her to die I was like I don't totally have a problem with what she's doing like maybe when she killed Chip I was like oh okay I'll do that to your friend but besides that I was like I mean are you making the world like a better place you know I don't know (laughs) I would say needy um only because there was that one point where she's trying to convince Chip that, like, Jennifer is an actual demon and he's not listening to her. And, like, I feel like, not that, like, I'm, like, I think people are demons, but, like, I feel like I've had conversations with people before where, like, I'm, like, this is actually an issue or, like, you know, there's something going on here. And they're, like, no way. Like, it's chill. Don't worry about it. And then the it ends up being a problem. Exactly. Gaslight gatekeep. Um, I mean, I feel like Needy is the most relatable character in the movie. Like, she just feels like, I mean, she's our protagonist, and she feels like the most, like, fully realized character, I guess. And I guess you could say she's most ethical, too. She's like, okay, yeah, I'll kill the band that, you know, made my best friend, like, into a literal, like, demon. And, you know, I'll I'll embrace the power, but I'm not going to go reckless with it. So I think that's really cool about her. Like there was definitely a happy medium. They're not like killing all boys is bad. It's like killing some boys, you know, it's it's all right. It's pretty good. Yeah. When they're like evil, like, yeah, some justice. Could you say that that's something that's common that people have this sympathy for a person who kills bad people like Dexter how we sympathize with Dexter and how we're fans of him we idolize him even though he kills people but he kills bad people so how do you differentiate the wrong in that that's a good question I haven't seen Dexter but I'm like familiar with the plot I feel like there's something about anti-heroes in general that people really like because like I feel like a hero in a lot of ways is too perfect, too clean, too unattainable. Like they're an idealized version that we're never going to relate to. But someone like an anti-hero, they, I think they're a little more realistic. You know, they understand the system's not always going to work. It's not always going to, you know, do what you want and very seldom does it ever. So I think it's very cathartic to see someone like Dexter who is, you know, taking justice into their own hands and is like, you know what, I'm going to kill some really awful people and, you know, the world might be better for it. So. Yeah, I mean, I think people are drawn to characters who are more, like, morally gray. Because, like you said, a hero being always on the right side of everything, it's a little bit, it's a little bit predictable. It's a little bit boring. Like, 
there, I, I guess, is a line, because, like, you don't want to kill innocent people, you know? And that's kind of what, for the most part, Jennifer does, um, just because she is possessed and, like, can't really control herself. And that's also kind of, like, her attitude, like, she doesn't really care. But, uh, yeah, I definitely think, like, Needy sort of harnesses that energy and puts it to, I guess, like, actual productive, I don't know, like, it makes it actually productive, I guess. And it's kind of this poetic justice at the end, because she kills them with the knife that they killed Jennifer with, which I love, that little detail. I have another fun fact for you guys. So the ending scene, now that we're talking about the ending scene, right? You know how... Mm -hmm she gets stabbed so needy stabs jennifer and jennifer is like ow my tit and needy's like know your heart that's actually diablo cody's favorite quote of the movie backstory behind the movie is that it was marketed towards like frat boys and just like males in general so she knew that they would focus on her getting stabbed like in the tit area and that's what they would see and that's why she reinsured Dee's line as know the heart to draw away the focus that she was stabbed in that area mm-hmm. cool right i didn't even think about I it i'm like wow that makes sense such like a campy little line but like just dissecting it and finding that meaning is incredible because it's so true because that's how they would view it but yeah just like a great reinforcer yeah, and, like, a reminder that she is a real person. Like, she's not, you know, and I think she kind of feels like, um, or Needy feels like she's lost. Jennifer has lost some of her heart in this, this possession, because she doesn't, like, give a shit anymore. She just eats men. Um, but that final reminder that at your core, you're still a person and you're still my best friend. That'd be so sad to get to that point where Needy did, though, and have to, you know, choose what's right. Like, you know, she knew that she needed to stop Jennifer from killing all these people. Yeah. So she had to make that ultimate decision. I have to kill my best friend right now because she's not who she is. She's demonically possessed. Like, that's not really her anymore. And you know how a lot of people latch on to something that's not really there and that's actually that harms them more so it was like a protection to herself as well maybe maybe that's not the intention that it was but that's kind of what I got from it is that she was protecting herself and she was protecting others from what more danger could come from this mm-hmm. yeah because like I feel like at this point in the movie like towards the end when she's like when she realizes that Jennifer is going to kill Chip, she becomes a very active character and she realizes, I can't sit by, I have to actually confront the thing that's been, like, annoying me and has been kind of controlling me and, like you said, like, kind of her protector in a lot of ways. And when she finally kills her, like, I feel like it is a true breakthrough for Needy in terms of finding her own independence and empowerment and being like, I am my own person, I am not defined by Jennifer, And I'm also going to protect the people around me at whatever cost it is to me. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, I um, definitely think the point that you brought up about Needy being sort of defined by Jennifer and then at the end 
I like her character arc is she doesn't have to be, and she can be her own person, but she can also be, because she got, was it scratched by Jennifer? Yeah. Yeah, so she has, like, some of her power, so it's kind of like you can take these experiences that you've had with people who are, like, maybe less than, uh, less than great, but, um, even if you are damaged by that relationship, it can make you stronger and can give you a different perspective and you can move on from it um, as a stronger person. I was just thinking about this the other day, Jackie, because I was listening to Thank You Next by Ariana Grande. I was just listening to the lyrics and thinking about it, like, even though our relationships might have been toxic or not good, we learned from it and we've grown from every bad experience that we've gotten hit with. But we should mm-hmm. still be grateful that we were able to have those experiences to grow. Because what's so wrong about growing in life? That's the whole purpose, right? Yeah, exactly. And I feel like that's what people forget. Sometimes it's like, obviously it sucks when like shitty things like that happen, when manipulative people be- come into your life. But when you um, grow from them and confront them and, you know, learn how to handle yourself in those kind of circumstances, it really makes a mark on you as a person and teaches you how to stand up for yourself and become stronger. The film had a lackluster performance at the North American box office, making $2.8 million its opening day and $6.8 million its opening weekend, um, which, like, doesn't seem that bad, but I guess it's, like, for the kind of film that it was and what they expected and maybe the production budget, it wasn't um, what they wanted. But um, it also received mixed reviews from critics. Negative reviews criticized the narrative and specifically the horror slash comic premise for failing to be either funny or scary enough to satisfy. While positive reviews praised the film for its dialogue, emotional resonance, and the performance of Megan Fox and the supporting cast. But since 2018, in the wake of the Me Too movement, the film has been appreciated as a feminist horror film and as a cult classic. And it's especially beloved by women and people in the queer community because of the relationship between Needy and Jennifer. And fun fact, Megan Fox came out as bi during the film's initial release. And she said some questionable stuff at that time. It was very 2008. Um, You can look into it, but I hope that she has changed her tune since then. And she made a post during Pride Month this year that the caption was putting the B in LGBTQIA for over two decades, which we love. I mean, in general, film criticism is very um, white male cis skewing, you know, But um, particularly for this film, you know, when I was looking through the Metacritic um, aggregation, like most of the people in it were, you know, men who were reviewing the film. And I think the top review was from Peter Traverse, who writes for Rolling Stone and is pretty well known. And his first (laughs) his first line in the positive film review was hot, hot, hot. So that just shows like this type of um, ignorance. And at least, it's like, did you understand the point of the film? Did you watch <laughs> it? Like what planet were you on when you saw this? Because it just shows, you know, 
the amount of just apathy that, you know, a lot of these critics have and not understanding the purpose of it, you know, and how film criticism, especially then, and, you know, continues to be today, just not representative of society. So when important films like this come out, they're not being reviewed, or if they are, it's like maybe one or two people are reviewing a film on these like major sites like it's not representative of who the audience is who it's aimed for and if it meets its criteria and goals when trying to like you know speak to them so very frustrating in that regard yeah and Mm -hmm. these critics already have an idea in their head of how they want the movie to be so if the movie isn't Mm -hmm. how they want it to be then they're so opposed to it. They don't even care what happened. They don't even care about the little details. It's not just about what you're seeing on screen. It's the cinematography, the storyline, how it all comes together, the acting in it, like that all comes to play. And they don't, they're not giving credit. Megan Fox isn't giving credit for her acting abilities in this film. Amanda, her too, she can play so many different characters and she keeps killing it too. Mm -hmm. And like I said, she went from Mean Girls to that, or I think it was vice versa. And those are two completely different characters. And she does an, a phenomenal yeah. job in both. Yeah. And like, I feel like people don't even like appreciate like when you're doing comedy acting, that's fucking hard. That's really hard. And both of those roles were comedy roles that again, she killed. And especially in Jennifer's body, she was able to put so much heart into it, the drama, the relationship with Jennifer, while still being funny and endearing and being like half a succubus. That's not easy. I'd like to see (laughs) fucking Brad Pitt do that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, going back to critics' expectations versus what the film actually is, like, especially because it's kind of going counter to this idea that, like, women should be sexualized or should like not have any power and we have jennifer literally like eating men like seducing and eating men subverts those expectations that were probably put in the um the trailer or however it was marketed and so i can see why like men might be upset by that can i give a little tidbit about the posters oh yeah something that really really pissed me off was um when i was looking at like a lot of the posters is that first off, it's just Jennifer. The setting that she's in is a classroom or it's a white background. She's never in that classroom with a chalkboard. She's never in a completely white background, okay? And then the outfit she wears, she wears like, she's wearing a red and gray cheerleader outfit. She wears, and it's not even cheerleading. It's like a like a flag. Oh, like a flag bearer or whatever. Flag bearer, yeah. So she's not even a cheerleader. She does like flags or whatever. That costume is purple and yellow so it's like the studio had like no cohesion with the movie it was all about sexualizing her and then the most iconic poster is um her sitting on a desk with books her hair is like parted to the side she has curly hair in the poster she has straight hair in the movie and she's wearing like this tank top and short skirt that again she never wears so it was essentially just like a photo shoot it had nothing to do with the character it didn't have anything to do with the movie. It was about sexualizing Megan Fox to sell tickets to Frat Boys, who this movie, again, is not for. This is, in a lot of ways, it's a revenge film. It's supposed to make women feel, like, empowered and laughed and, you know, like, enjoy something and feel connected to something. And um, studios were like, excuse me? 
No, Warner Brothers just did not care. They weren't having so. it. Like I said, the no. marketing team is to blame for this, exactly. for their, them sexualizing her, but also Hollywood was sexualizing Megan Fox. And that's what put her into like this. Mm. She was going through something. She even admitted that even during the film, when she was shooting, she was going through something. And I think it was post um, Transformers. I think Transformers really fucked her up and just what she dealt yeah. with there. But hey, I'm not going to speak for Megan Fox, but it just, she doesn't really talk about it. She's like moved forward from it. She can mm. like, it can be brought up and she's okay with it. But like I said, I think there was a lot of growing and learning and just like putting it past her that needed to be done. Diablo Cody received um, an email from one of the marketing managers that literally she said stated, Megan Fox hot. That's it. Ew, why? That's all they cared about. I mean, she is, but that's not, that's like, there's more there. You know what I mean? It's like they even like marketed Magic Mike better, which is like probably like five or ten years later. But still, like mm. even when a film was explicitly about like the objectification of men, I feel like that did a better job in like I don't know portraying a story than this did. Ridiculous. Yeah, and this movie isn't even about like strippers. So like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's about high schoolers. Calm the fuck down. The pedophilia, if we're being honest here, oh. you know, like the sexualization on the poster and then on the trailer because i remember in the trailer like they really wanted to highlight needy and jennifer kissing they're like "Ooh, lesbians you know yeah. and so it's it's very frustrating how it could just be this like obviously like gross and people were like this is okay this is totally normal and there's a quote that diablo cody shared and it is. <laughs> the kiss between Needy and Jennifer wasn't a publicity stunt. It was intended to be something profound and meaningful to me and Karen, the director. There is a physical energy between the girls, which is kind of authentic because I know when I was a teenage girl, the friendships that I had with other girls were almost romantic. They were so okay. intense. I wanted to capture that heightened feeling that you don't really feel as a grown up. Though the film stands as a dark comedy horror movie, the true heart of the film has a focus on female empowerment. We wanted to subvert the classic horror model of women being terrorized. I want to write roles that service women. I want to tell stories from a female perspective. I want to create good parts for actresses where they're not just accessories to men. In addition to bringing new perspectives to the genre, Cody also explained that a key reason for writing the film was to bring to the screen a new way of expressing the intensity of female bonds. Interesting. Yeah, that's like very much like talking around the point. Like female friendships maybe definitely have a reputation of being more intense than like male friendships. But I think that comes from a place of maybe better acceptance of affection you know like they're not as mm-hmm. like like they can be open and affectionate and personal and intimate with each other but then it's also I think the level of like when like straight women or great women uh, you know quotations like who aren't coming to terms with their sexuality who are like oh no we're just really close we just kiss mm-hmm. each other you know yeah like we kiss and each other like every weekend like <laughs> I don't know about that I hate that like Karn and Diablo were not willing to say it, but like Needy absolutely has a crush on Jennifer. Like it's crazy the way that like it's implied, but they won't say it. Like it's just mm. 
the vibes are off on this one because the way she looks at Jennifer. In the beginning, we get that slow-mo shot of her watching Jennifer do like her cheerleading routine. And it's like, if this was from a guy's perspective, there would be no question that he had a crush on her. You know what I mean? Because that's just like how we've been taught to see, like to interpret those scenes in film. Like that means that someone is romantically interested in someone else. So it's just crazy, like, the hand-holding scene in the bar, like, mm-mm, I'm done. I'm done with the queer baiting. <laughs> yeah, that, there was a lot of queer vibes in it. And I think because, yeah, it was so early 2000s that there wasn't a lot of talk about the LGBTQ community. It really shows how Jennifer is more, I mean, how Needy's more connected to Jennifer than to Chip. Because earlier in their film, Needy has this like sixth sense of whenever Jennifer's coming over and Chip's like, that's weird. It's like, she literally has like this like mind connection with her. But even when she's in like the most intimate setting with Chip, like, you know, she is kind of, she's out of it. She's like thinking about Jennifer, even if it's in like this weird way, she's more worried about her than Chip in that sense. So I thought that was like a really, I don't know if obvious is the right word, but it was like very, very, very direct queer meeting where it's like, you know, it feels like a lot of um, her relationship with Chip and Chip is a nice guy, but it feels like it's a kind of like comp het in a lot of way. It's not um, authentic. And like, even when Jennifer kisses her, like she doesn't pull away. She's like, all right, we're doing it. This is what I've been waiting for. Yes. (laughs) Exactly. That's what best friends do, you know. Just two girls being pals. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like she like, does, I mean, she kind of feels guilty about it, but I feel like we don't see a ton of that too. You know, like she never tells Chip. So. Well, looking at Jennifer and Needy's friendship, is it safe to say that their friendship probably wouldn't have lasted? Because I feel like, Needy would have been that person to outgrow Jennifer and Jennifer would have just stayed in that type of teenage mentality because she was so invested in how she looked. We have the makeup scene where she's trying to put on foundation because she hasn't eaten. Um, So that's when she starts deteriorating when she hasn't had the flesh of men. Um, (laughs) And she has pictures of herself in her like, it's like her Mm -hmm. little vanity. I think it like it had something to say, like there was a significance about it because femmes, we struggle with comparison and identity and just, especially when we're growing up in our teenage years, I feel like that's when it's more, um, when it happens the most, because we're just trying to figure out who we are. We don't know. We're trying to figure out what we like, you know, we're coming to terms with who we are. So I think that that was kind of shown in a way where you know she's she's losing what she cherishes the most about herself Mm -hmm. especially with social media now there's just so much pressure to look some sort of way or to look perfect quote-unquote perfect or to make it seem that everything's okay when I feel like now there's change or like a shift in that kind of dynamic where influencers are trying to show that not everything's perfect like you're it's okay to not be okay it's okay it's okay to have bad days not everyone's on that same wavelength yet but it is up and coming and more people are starting to talk about that it's okay to be imperfect yeah and I think that's really important because like 
you know, image is still just an image. You know, it's fake. It's a cultivation. It's like a fantasy and an illusion in a lot of ways. And I think that's what Jennifer gets so caught up in. And I think it's interesting that when she eats boys, she finds her empowerment through looking beautiful. Like that's what it strengthens in her. And I feel like that's probably like what she wants the most. While for Needy, I guess we don't really get to see afterwards what that does to her, but I don't think it's beauty in particular. I think it makes her stronger because she's not wearing her glasses anymore, for instance. She like goes and kills someone, which like she was kind of against at the beginning of the film. Um, So I think it definitely strengthened her character while it strengthened Jennifer's appearance. And I think that says a lot about them both. Yeah, she's a kicker. You know, she's able to kick that woman, which is crazy. And when that starts, like, that starts off the film, and you're just like, okay, strap in, here we fucking go. Um, <laughs> and then she, like, busts out of jail or out of the um, institution that she's in. And so, like, it's more this, like, physical strength, I think. And she can levitate, although I guess Jennifer could levitate, too. But, yeah, like, like body image, self-image, like... That's such an interesting point, and um, Needy brings it up as kind of like a sore spot to Jennifer when she's, like, trying to kill Chip. And Needy brings up that Jennifer was taking laxatives to stay skinny. And so it's clear that there's this... She feels this pressure to keep herself looking a certain way. And she feels really bad when she doesn't look that way. And I think it's definitely a commentary on, like, yeah, the pressure that society puts on femmes to keep up their appearances or, like, the sexualization of, of femmes. There's still this certain figure and certain look that they want for characters. And I still see that. You still see petite characters in a lot of these popular shows. You mm-hmm. don't see anyone bigger than, like, a size zero. Like, literally. Only, like, in a few but they're not like the main character unless they're like older, but like teenage girls, like, or just in their twenties and their early twenties girls. Like I don't see any characters on TV that I can personally resonate with. Mm -hmm. And we wonder why like women or girls, femmes have body image issues and like people call femmes vain for spending a lot of time on themselves, but it's like, they're trying to keep up this impossible image that they've been fed. I mean, this is nothing new. This is nothing like we all know this already, but it's just, it's very frustrating. Yeah, it's like complete paradox. Oh, I wanted to talk about virginity, more like non-virginity, <laughs> because the reason that the ritual doesn't go through is because the band thinks that Jennifer is a virgin and they're gonna sacrifice her but she's not and so her not being a virgin becomes like the source of her power which I think is really cool like she's yeah she's like a literal man-eater um and a femme fatale but the reason that she tells Needy like I am a god. And like we see her in that lake scene feeling like so powerful and so connected to nature is because she's not a virgin, which is this expectation that is put on young women. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. Yes. Oh, I wanted to talk about this. 
So I was watching my YouTube docu stuff, you know, as I normally do. And someone brought up a great point about that in horror films, especially early horror films, like in Scream or even Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Halloween movies, how the whoever's not a virgin gets killed off first. And then the virgins get killed off last, like the goody two shoes. And I didn't realize that. I'm like, yeah, that is true. So Jennifer's Body was that first movie to have a non-virgin as like their main character and to just make it seem like it's okay. You know, she didn't have to be a virgin and that she brought up that she hadn't been a virgin since junior high. There's this like idea that it's bad to, you know, not be a virgin and that having sex in like high school is a bad thing or whatever the case may be. Now it's different. Now I see on television shows, there's a lot of talk about sex. Like I was watching the new Gossip Girl and they're like high schoolers having sex. So it's like, you know, it, it happens. You're, you're going to have sex, but they just make it seem like it's such a bad thing. Yeah. Kind of to contribute to that a little bit. There's this film theorist and her name's Carol J. Clover. And I think she kind of at least like noticed the idea and like came up with the theory around it in her book, Men, Women, and Chainsaws, where basically the final girl of like a lot of slasher films is like this like virgin who is very tomboyish. She's not feminine. She's not very popular. She's kind of a nerd. And I think that's really interesting. It's like, that's who's not punished, you know? And like going back to Scream too, like when they're talking about the rules of horror films, like if you have sex, you will die. I think that's one thing I kind of like about Scream (laughs) is that like, oh my God, Sydney. Yeah, she has sex in the movie, literally with the serial killer. Sorry for spoilers. And she doesn't die at the end. So like, you know, even though that was probably like 99, something like that. I think that's cool that like we start to see the beginnings of like a sex positive and less exploitative horror character. Cause I feel like whenever sex is portrayed in horror films, it's always in this very like dirty, exploitative, objectifying kind of way. So it's really cool to see that and that Jennifer contributes to that. 100%. So Diablo Cody states that she never, you know, because of how badly this movie was reviewed. She didn't expect herself to be this kind of role model, especially like being a screenwriter that doesn't happen. It's kind of rare that that happens. She just says that a lot of people who come up to her like 22 year olds and she's <laughs> like, you know, this movie came out so long ago and it's still being watched by like, you know, younger audiences out there. And it just like blows her mind. That's amazing. It just shows you it was so ahead of its time because now it's just exploding because everyone loves it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this was the first opportunity that she got to freely write anything without anyone interfering with like the creative process of the script, which is the only time that she's actually gotten that type of opportunity because she actually fell back from like, she didn't want to do red carpets. She just didn't want to be like seen as a, a celebrity so she pushed back from that and she said that was like the best decision that she's ever made for herself and I guess for her sanity I mean Hollywood is pretty pretty tough yeah and it's Absolutely. crazy because like wasn't she at least nominated for an Oscar for Juno and mm-hmm. like she won you know, oh she mm-hmm. won mm-hmm. Okay. yeah well deserved 
And so, you know, she gets like one of the highest honors like a writer can get in Hollywood, but she was still treated like crap, like for writing a film that they didn't deem as good. Like, that's just awful. Because I feel like that wouldn't happen to a male screenwriter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I feel like women are put out as like, we don't get enough credit for what we do. When you do something bad as a woman, people keep bringing it up. And like, you get more shame than you would as a man or like a male figure. And I've seen that a lot, like even in the media. Well, you're 100% right. And I feel like it's also impossible to constantly one up yourself. Like, that's just not going to happen, especially like when concerning like trends, like what's going on in your life. Like, there are so many other factors. And plus, you can write a damn good script. But like, if the director isn't cooperating, you know, if like, the aspects aren't there, you like, they're still going to get blamed for it, even though it's not their fault. It's ridiculous. You know, Film Spill is that kind of platform too that we're able to talk about these films and show like that it's more than what critics have said about it in the past. Like really dive in deep. Like we were diving in deep and talking about the fundamentals of the movie and the symbolism behind it and what everything means. I don't know about you guys, but I can't watch a film and not think about every fucking thing that's happening. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like I analyze it to the core. I look at the dialogue. I look at the cinematography. I look at the shots. I look at how the character's acting it out, like everything. It makes it so much more interesting because there's just like, I don't know, like this whole new story there. And it it shapes us like on a subconscious level. Like it's going to be a weird example, but like obviously there's like very little non-binary representation in media. But one of the closest things to it of like a genderqueer character is Pennywise from It because of um like they lay like Pennywise lays eggs and like they're like oh he's a girl and like you know he's very like shape-shifting between like characters and stuff um so I just found that like very interesting in particular that like um like I like I love Pennywise as a character so like it's interesting when you start like peeling back the layers and you're like what about this appeals to me um so mm-hmm. I I found that really interesting about films. Like you just discover like the weirdest things about both yourself and the people making the films. That's cool. I didn't even think about that. That's so awesome. <laughs> I appreciate Pennywise a little bit more. Thank you. <laughs> I'll have to send you, there was this video essay I just watched about the like genderqueer robot stereotype or genderqueer alien stereotype stop what oh my god we're like a lot of the um if there is any like non-binary representation in in cinema or in tv it's all like non-human characters oh my god okay i'm just like surprised i've never seen this essay because like i've been thinking about this for years like it's like always these like kind of like what's the word I don't know but like aliens make sense and Pennywise is an alien like these like things Mm -hmm. that are like not human but kind of human like Mm -hmm. this is Rowan Ellis's video I love her I'll send you um her stuff but the concept of humanity is so linked to gender like the way that we see up someone's personhood is so linked to gender and so like the only way that kind of mainstream media feels they can portray a non-binary character is kind of by denying them of their humanity. Yes. Okay. 
okay whoever this person is i love them i cannot wait to watch this it's so true like characters are so deeply rooted in gender it's like when they start to exhibit um like some sort of gender difference then they become like inhuman in some ways like I don't know if you guys have heard of the the trope of like a lot of trans women being portrayed as serial killers in movies and particularly horror movies yeah. and like you know that having obviously like bad representation um but I feel like that's a level of inhumanity there by showing them um like they're not normal people they are these like serial killers who um play dress up and are um detached from reality whether it be like Buffalo Bill or you know um Leatherface has aspects of that and Texas Chainsaw Massacre and other faces doesn't even speak you know so that is like wildly interesting and makes so much sense thank you so much Aspen for suggesting that we watch this film I know um we've been getting some dms people asking us for it as well and it is a very iconic movie a very important movie and so we had to talk about it and I'm so glad that we had you on. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciated talking about it with you guys. And this was such a fun conversation. I'm glad we got to do it twice. <laughs> yeah, I know. So nice we did it twice. Is there anything you want to plug? Aspen, social media, projects? So I'm producing a short film that we'll be distributing soon. So to keep up with us and learn about updates, follow our Instagram at sparkleshortfilm. And I also write on Medium. Um, if you want to hear more of my movie takes, follow me at ABN291 on Medium. Thank you for listening. This has been Film Spill, a movie night podcast. Thank you again to Aspen for being our lovely guest this week. And you can follow us on Instagram at Film Spill Pod for updates. We also just made a TikTok where we post little clips of the episodes and stuff, so you can follow us there also at Film Spill Pod. And you can support the show by using our PayPal, also at Film Spill Pod. Also, if you like the podcast, please tell a friend and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts so that other people can find this show as well. Editing was done by me. Cover art is done by Jackie. And next week, we will be back with an episode on La Cienega, directed and written by Lucretia Martel. And until then, don't cry over a spilled film.